Good morning. Good to see you here. Thanks for choosing to worship with us. Really grateful that you're here today. Thanks to all of you that are joining us online. Grateful for you. We're going to be in Revelation. Uh, we're going to stand and read together Revelation chapter 11, 15 to 19, but we're actually going to look at Revelation chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 this morning. So while you're turning there, Revelation 11, 15 to 19, I was thinking about something that's, it may seem weird a little bit, but I was thinking about people 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, people were almost a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the people of God who had the prophecies, were hearing the prophecies proclaimed, they were looking forward to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, the birth of the Messiah. And do you know what happened? That actually happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem as prophesied by Isaiah and Malachi and the others. And and he was born in just the right location, in the right family tree, just as prophesied. And for those many years and, and before, people were looking forward to Jesus coming that way, the Messiah coming that way. And then he really did all he said he would do. He was crucified in, outside the city of Jerusalem. He rose again three days uh, on the third day after, after the crucifixion. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. All of that is history for us, right? But, but if you lived 3,000 years ago, you're kind of looking forward to all of that. Well, in the same way, just as those things came to be, and they look like history to us, in the same way we are looking forward to all the fulfillment of the prophecy and the vision that is the book of Revelation. And just as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as sure as that happened, as sure as he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem, all the things in the book of Revelation will also come to be. We're just on this side of it, looking forward to its coming. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Revelation chapter 11, 15 to 19. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading to distinguish God's word from my own. Beginning in verse 15 of chapter 11. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. You could be seated. What we are looking at today is a section of scripture detailing part of the great tribulation. And these are the seven trumpet judgments. So if you just recap, the beginning of Revelation is letters to seven churches. Then we have a scroll with seven seals and seven sealed judgments. Now uh, we're in 
in the Great Tribulation again this week, and we're talking about the seven trumpet judgments. The Great Tribulation is a period of time, seven years, divided in two parts, three and a half years each, or 1,260 days each, according to the scripture. In my view, as I said last week, the church of Jesus Christ is on the planet during the Great Tribulation. Uh, that deviates from some people's opinions related to the theology of it, but it's, it's based on my understanding, what I read and what I understand, that is the case, that the church of Jesus Christ is on the planet during the Great Tribulation, which colors how I interpret everything else in the book of, of Revelation. So you need to know that uh, as we move forward. Today, we're just going to like look at chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 and really try to answer the question, what does the text say? Because if you grew up in church, you've heard all kinds of things about what all of this is, but I really just want us to look at what the text says. Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9, if you're reading in the original language, there's no chapter division, no 8, no 9. This is really one section, and it details the first six trumpet judgments. Now, the thing that we know about this is that they correspond, each of those six trumpet judgments correspond with plagues in Exodus. So let me just back up for a second and say this. Like when we look at the book of Revelation, we're seeing Jesus as the deliverer lead us out of the bondage and brokenness that is this world through judgment into the final promised land, which is new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all of that. It is, Exodus is a picture of Revelation. And this is something that the people like John could really understand. When you look at the first six trumpet judgments, you have angels blowing trumpets. And I'll just summarize these first six. The first, and these are chapters eight and nine. The first of the trumpet ju judgment is uh, found in Revelation chapter eight, verse seven. And you get hail and fire. This corresponds with the seventh plague in Exodus chapter nine that also brings hail and fire. Revelation chapter eight, verses eight to nine, it says, the sea turns to blood and one third of living creatures die. In Exodus chapter seven, we get the first plague, the Nile turns to blood and the fish die. The third trumpet, Revelation chapter eight, 10 to 11, it says that the rivers and the springs are made bitter. This corresponds with the ninth plague in Exodus chapter seven, as the rivers and canals are made bitter. The fourth trumpet, Revelation chapter eight, verse 12, one third of the sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened. This is the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10, three days of darkness. In the fifth trumpet, Revelation chapter nine, one to 11, we get detail of darkness armies of locusts like scorpions and the locusts have a king and that king is named Abaddon and in Revelation chapter 9 verse 11. So Abaddon just means destroyer in Hebrew. You could read uh, lots of books about who is Abaddon, but in my view, it is Satan, the, dis the destroyer. This corresponds with Exodus, uh, the plagues, the ninth and eighth plagues in Exodus 10 where darkness comes and locust uh, comes. The sixth trumpet is Revelation 9, 12 to 19. Angels released 
uh, mounted troops, fire, smoke, and sulfur, and one-third of all humanity dies. This corresponds with the 10th plague in Exodus 11 as the Passover takes place and the firstborn in each home dies. Now, those are the first six trumpets. That's all of chapter 8, all of chapter 9. Um, so, here's how I sum that up. That's a bad time. That's a bad time. Um, and we are talking about like huge calamity, natural disasters, water systems that are po polluted, seas that are turned to blood, all of the eco-life, at least a third of it dies, a third of humanity dies during this time. And this is all the execution of God's judgment on the, on the, on the earth, on the population. Uh, these are bad days. Now, the scripture goes on to just echo what I just said and in good way and a good good news piece and a bad news piece. Revelation 9 verse 4 tells us that those who are sealed are protected to a degree. So Revelation 9 4 says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth, they meaning the locust armies, were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So for the seal of God, you go back to Revelation chapter six and chapter seven to discover that God has sealed his people. So there's a protective program in place, but the general population, Revelation chapter nine, verse six, it describes it like this. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. That's how bad those days will be. People would rather die than live through what they're going through. Um, and again, I'd just like to say, as sure as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, these things will take place according to the scriptures and in the timing of our sovereign God. Interestingly, even after all of that, you know how we say things like, you know, if I had if I had seen the blind man be healed and he got his sight, I would have so much more faith. Or if I, I had seen the Red Sea parted, I, I would have so much more faith. In actuality, the, that's not true. We know that's not true, and this is just one example of that. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 to 21, after they had been through all of this, it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the, these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So even though they've been through six trumpet judgments, seven sealed judgments, they've seen one third of the population die. They're struggling economically. They don't have enough food there is pestilence even though they don't repent and this tells us a lot this gives us a significant insight into the level of depravity of the human soul you realize how depraved our hearts are and and this is grace right for you to to know jesus and to trust in him and turn your life over to him and say, Jesus is Lord. For you to know that, for you even to, to come to that, 
to leave behind your idolatry and pride and sexual immorality and theft and all of that, to leave that behind, you are wooed by the Holy Spirit. He called your name. He pursued you with a steadfast love. That's grace. And he changed our heart. Ezekiel would even say, you know, dry bones come to life. In Deuteronomy, it said we need a new heart. Jesus is all about taking out what was depraved and making us born again, giving us a new heart, a new life. But in this moment, in the great tribulation, even though all of this has happened, people do not repent. The six trumpets. Now, when you come to chapter 10, all the way through eleven fourteen, you come to an interlude, right? It's like, that's weird. Like, do we, do we get up, walk around, you know, buy snacks? What do we do? It's an interlude. Um, 10, chapter 10 through eleven fourteen is the most interesting interlude you've ever attended in your life. It's not like intermission that's over in 30 minutes, but you have two significant events that happen in this interlude. In Revelation chapter 10, the first thing that we see is a mighty angel and a little scroll. So it says John saw before him a mighty angel with this tiny scroll, and he has a message in the scroll for John. And it's just for John in that time, the scripture says that he's, it's going to be sealed up for now. So we're not going to know everything in that scroll. And John is told to eat the scroll. Is that kind of weird, right? Eat the scroll. It means to assimilate the message. Take it in. So he has to eat the scroll, and it says it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but it's going to be bitter to your stomach. What that is, this is a message that he's assimilating that is sweet for the follower of Jesus, but bitter to prophesy, bitter to preach, really hard to speak to a people who are not repentant because it means something. Now, the message of this scroll is found in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. It says, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, I don't know what this sounds like to you, but here's what we, we learn is that when this seventh angel sounds this seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just like he announced it would be. And I'm keenly interested in that word fulfilled. The word there comes from a Greek word teleo. Hang with me because sometimes you say Greek and people are like, eh, I don't want to hear it. But this is important. It comes from a Greek word teleo. And here the form of it is etelesti, and it means to be fulfilled or to be finished. Well, John, who's receiving this message from the angel, is the same John in John chapter 19, verse 30, who watched Jesus die on a cross, observed Jesus dying on a cross, heard Jesus say in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. It's the same Greek word Jesus said in a different form, tetelestai, which means everything is fulfilled, it's finished. It's like, it's like the angel is telling John in this moment, Jesus said it is finished on the cross, but when the trumpet sounds of the seventh angel, the seventh trumpet, when it sounds, everybody's going to also agree it is finished, right? This is powerful message that will come from this little 
scroll and, and the, seven, the seventh trumpet that is to come. So John finds the scroll is to be just like the angel said it would be, uh, sweet to the taste, bitter to the stomach, hard to preach and prophesy. Now there's a second section in this interlude where we find two witnesses, two witnesses before the seventh trumpet. Now, <clears throat> in my view, these are Jewish witnesses who come on the scene during the tribulation with ministries that resemble Elijah's and Moses's. Um, some people want to say this was Elijah and this was Moses. I don't think we can know this was Elijah and this was Moses. Um, there's no necessarily doesn't need to be Elijah and Moses to fulfill all the prophecy, but definitely they have characteristics in their ministries that resemble those of Elijah and Moses. So look at Revelation chapter 11, verse three to six. It says this, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. So they get a lot of days to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be clothed in sackcloth, which means they're repentant. They're lamenting on behalf of the people. Verse four, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. That is from Zechariah four, and that's a whole nother sermon. And verse five, and if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. And if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no, may, no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Now, this is what Elijah did prior to, to, to the 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. This is why their, their ministry is like Elijah's. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and, strike, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. This is like Moses and Egypt. That's why I say they have ministries like Elijah and Moses. Verse seven, and when they have finished their testimony, so when the 1260 days of testifying is up, it says, um, <clears throat> sorry, verse seven, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. So there is a beast that is coming up from the shaft that will bring war against these two witnesses. And the scripture says that eventually they are killed and left three and a half days in the streets of the great city, which is the city of Jerusalem. So <clears throat> I live in, uh, in Nassau Bay. We have these ducks that think they can fly, but they kind of can, kind of can't. So <laughs> on the way to work, uh, I don't know, a week ago, I saw this truck just slam into this duck trying to fly, right? All, all of you, go ahead, get it out of your system. Uh, it's a duck. Uh, and so the duck dies, right? And I'm like, oh, that dude hit a duck. And I go to work. Because that's what you do, it's a duck. And so I can't, I can't that's what I did. And so, <clears throat> I, anyway, so then... Day, next, next day, day two, it's on the NASA bypass, right? This duck. And that duck is still there 24 hours later, but he's dead, dead. You know, like not a little dead, 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 feathers kind of 
places, and he's a little flatter than he was the day before. Day two, he's still there, and he's deteriorating. Day three, it's really bad, right? This duck is like goo left on the street. I know. Come on. It's not lunchtime yet. <laughs> Can you imagine three and a half days of a human body left in the streets? It says that they were left in the streets after they were killed, and the, and the people all around rejoiced that they were dead. They walked by rejoicing. Now, listen to what happens. It's, it's kind of amazing. It's miraculous. It's only, only God. These, these two witnesses were untouchable for a time, 1,260 days. They had this power to do things for a time to testify to the power of God, the glory of Christ. The beast makes war on them and kills them. The dead bodies are left in the streets. That's verse 8 to 10 of chapter 11. Verse 11 of chapter 11, it says, But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. So all the people that had been walking that path where they were in the street for all that time, three and a half days, now they see they're up on their feet, and they have great fear. Fear. And verse 12 says, Then they, the two witnesses, heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So they testified. They did these miraculous things. No rain plagues, testifying to the power of God. They were killed. Everybody jeered three and a half days later. They're resurrected. Everybody's afraid. They ascend into heaven. People see that. Now people uh, are experiencing an earthquake. 7,000 people die. Part of the city is destroyed and they give glory to God in the midst of the tribulation. And then this prepares us for the seventh trumpet. Right, that is the interlude that prepares us for the seventh trumpet. And we find this in Revelation uh, chapter um, 11, verse 15 to 19. And it is like a celestial announcement. If you, if you take a look at it, verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, so when you see this, like, it, it reminds me of, and the shepherds were watching in their field at night, and the sky split, and the angels were singing glory to God in the highest on earth. I mean, this is a celestial announcement here in the great tribulation, that the voices of heaven are saying these things. And the, the message of that trumpet is, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. One more time, the gospel, after all the judgment, sealed judgment, after all the trumpet judgment, after the two witnesses who they martyred and then were resurrected and ascended. Now we get a seventh trumpet. You expect it to be horrid judgments, but the message actually is a proclamation of everything that the Bible's been working toward to this moment, that there's one king and one kingdom. Well, it says in verses 16 to 18, 
that the elders, the 24 elders around the throne, they just respond in worship and they say or sing these things. And here's the bullet point list of things they say or sing in verses uh, 16 to 18. It says, empower you, begin your reign. Now, this is just showing a, a new day. He has always been sovereign over everything. He always has been the sovereign king of the universe. But now the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are the same. And he rules with authority. There's no prince of the power of the air ruling on the earth at this point. Now the kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. The nation, it says, the nations raged and you pour out your wrath. You realize that at the seventh trumpet, this is how China, Russia, America, and all the rest ends. You hear that, right? These are temporal nations. The people groups live on in eternity, but the boundaries, the geography, the politics, all become to, to, to align with one king. You remember the scripture says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says that, that in, in, in this, they praise him for judging the dead, that he is a just God and he will judge the dead. Jesus said in Matthew that he will separate the sheep from the, the goats, that the people who know and walk with Jesus and say Jesus is Lord and the people who refuse or who don't. It says, and here's a little bit of good news. It says they worshiped him because he rewarded his servants, prophets, saints, and those who fear God. You realize in the judgment, everybody in Christ, you're actually rewarded. You're rewarded. And this is really good news. You see what can happen in tribulation. And this is just the great tribulation. There's more to come. It says that he destroyed the destroyer of the earth. They worship him because he is the one that is bringing shalom to chaos, that he's destroying those who wreak havoc and cause chaos in the life of people, generations, and nations. This is the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, John gets this interesting glimpse. It says, verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and earthquake and, a, and heavy hail. So John looks into heaven. You know what he sees? It says that he sees the temple in heaven. It says that when, it, when the temple in heaven was opened, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody knows what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? So God directed Moses and Aaron to build this ark with acacia wood. It had to be built very specifically. Had a, a top on it they called a mercy seat. And that inside the, the Ark of the Covenant, there were the two tablets signifying the law of God. There was Aaron's budding rod signifying his provision and presence and miracles. And there was manna from heaven that somehow didn't rot that they put inside the the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant then went before the people all through the Bible, the presence of God before them. When they camped, he was in the tabernacle in their midst in the Holy of Holies. God was with them. It symbolized his presence. When they came into the promised land and they built the, the temple, 
They put the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. They practice festivals, and one of those festivals is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, high priests would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year and make atonement for the sins of the people by the blood of a lamb. So when John, who has been to the temple, who knows all of this stuff, when he looks and sees the temple of heaven open, the Ark of the Covenant on the inside, he has to be thinking about the presence and promise of God. He has to be thinking about the mercy seat and the great mercies that come through Jesus. He has to be thinking about the atonement of sin and the goodness that is being made righteous and clean in the blood of the lamb. Now, I don't know if, if it's just me or maybe you've read, read these things too about tr- where the Ark of the Covenant is these days. Has anybody read any of that? Like you saw Indiana Jones when you were 14 or 10 or 9 or, or 50 and now you're, you know, 85, whatever, and, and you wanted to find that thing. And so some people say it's in Ethiopia. Uh, some people say it's in the Vatican. Some people say it was destroyed by the Romans when they destroyed the temple in 70 AD. There's all kinds of, of theories and thoughts. And, and But here's what the scripture teaches us. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, it says, Thus, it was necessary for copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So what we learn as the writer of Hebrews is is writing a letter to the Hebrew people who are coming to Christ. What we learn is that the temple in Jerusalem, that was a model, that was just a copy of what's in heaven. Um, The Holy of Holies, it's just a copy. The Ark of the Covenant, it's just a copy. The, The high priest went in there one time a year and made atonement for the sins of the people, but we have a better high priest, a great high priest who's not gone into the temple in Jerusalem and made atonement. He's gone into the temple in heaven where it's not a copy, where it's the real thing, and he's made real atonement for our sins. He's offered real mercy for our sins by his death on the cross. He's paid it in full. You're completely atoned for in Jesus. He was the substitute. He was the only one that could enter into the, 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 the temple in heaven and make atonement for our sins, and he did it. He did it. So if you die in the street in the great tribulation, you're in heaven with Jesus. You hear me? If, if you don't live through the tribulation, you die of some disease. In Christ, you're in heaven with Jesus. That's good news. That's really good news. Uh, this... Uh, very young adult reached out to me on social media last night and it was like i was almost annoyed um but he asked a question i couldn't couldn't like let it go angela's like don't respond i was like uh, i have to but, we're, but we're, we're watching our show i know i can't stop and so this kid said uh, not kid young adult are you a christian and to which I replied, yes. And then he replied, why? Have you ever thought about that? Are you a Christian because you were born in a house where they said you should be a Christian? 
are you a Christian because you're in a state where Christianity is pretty well thought of? Uh, it's part of the culture in some ways. Did you grow up like that? Is that why you're a Christian? He said, why? And I was thinking, how do I, you know, do this on 140 characters or less? And here's what I said. I said, um, because I took a hard look at myself and I couldn't fix myself. I was broken. I needed someone to fix me. And someone told me some really good news that Jesus could fix all my sins of the past. When I sin again, he'll fix me now and he's going to fix me more in the future. And so I turned to him. That's like justification, sanctification, glorification, and 20-year-old speak. Fix me. He, was, he did fix me. He's fixing me. He will fix me. And we had a great, great conversation. But that's the why. The why? Why are we here? The reason we're here is he's the only one who can make atonement for our sin in the heavenly places. Not the copied place, the heavenly place, not the model, the heavenly place. And that's what he did. And so when John looks into this, he has to be thinking about like the atonement, the mercy, the presence, the promise of God. And then we get, it says again, there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake and heavy hail. I mean, we see that when Moses is given the law at Mount Sinai, same language, thunder, peals of lightning, uh, all of those earthquake, all those things, because this is significant. It's the presence of God. He's offering us, in that case, the Torah, the commands of God. Uh, in the book of Acts, when, when the, the, the people of God, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, it says that there are uh, peals of thunder and lightning and all this stuff. It's the same thing as the presence of God. It's showing us the presence of God. And when John looks into heaven here, he's just saying, like, this is, this is wrought with the, the magnificence of the presence of God. He's doing all this. He's orchestrating all this. He is about all of it. And as sure as Jesus was born in Bethlehem and died in a cross, on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem, the hands of Romans, all this will take place. Which brings us to an important response. Do you know our choice of king and kingdom in this life is a really big deal? It's a really big deal. It's like by grace, you've given this opportunity. You, of all people, have been given this opportunity to hear the gospel with such access. Sometimes people want to ask me, well, what about the people who never hear? I always like say, okay, we'll talk about them in a minute, but what about you who are hearing? You have been given incredible access to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Our choice of king and kingdom in this life is a really big deal. You have to ask yourself the question, when you read the book of Revelation, which side of this am I on? People choose allegiances to kings and kingdoms all the time. You can tell what king they follow, what kingdom they call home by the way they walk and talk. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I can tell you as a church, our only hope in tribulation, the great tribulation, is Jesus. Because he will rule and reign forever and ever. He will restore all things. 
He's bringing us out of bondage and brokenness through judgment and into promise. But how we walk with him now matters. Well, what step do you take? You know, the whole book of Revelation, you could sum it up just like this. It's a simple book. Did you know it? You thought I was going to talk about the locust or Black Hawk helicopters and night vision and all those kinds of things. We can't know all that. We don't know. Here's what we know. Simple message of the book of Revelation. Ready? Jesus is Lord. That's it. Jesus is Lord. It's like Paul said, if you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God that your sins bring to you. Because Jesus is Lord. He's just. He's atoned for it. But if you want to be saved, you'll have to believe. You have to have one king and one kingdom. What's our step two, okay? I believe Jesus is Lord. What's step two? It's also simple. Hear and obey him. Do you know that's all of discipleship? You thought discipleship was a class. Discipleship is hearing and obeying Jesus. Hear him and obey him no matter the circumstances. No matter if you're in that moment, that part of the great tribulation where one third of the earth's population is killed or you're living in this moment today. It doesn't matter which moment, the call is to hear and obey him. Because Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, who else would we follow? Well, the great tribulation is refining. And it will happen. There will be seven sealed judgments, seven trumpet judgments, four horsemen, two eyewitnesses, two witnesses, martyred and resurrected and ascended. There will be a seventh trumpet. And the kingdom of Jesus will be on the kingdom of the earth. According to the text, this is what the text says. We don't have any Black Hawk helicopters that we know of. There could be. But all those things that you've seen and heard, don't add things. But take it for what it says. And the simple message is, Jesus is Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we are um, a people looking forward to these days and even greater days as we read the rest of Revelation when you restore all things. These are hard passages to preach, hard passages to hear, but this is your word, God. You gave it to us and it is true. And so, Father, help us to eat the scroll. Help us to assimilate the message. And help us to walk in it. Father, we give you our hands. We say, use them because you are Lord. We give you the thoughts of our minds, the words of our mouth. We say, take them and use them because you are Lord. We give you the direction of our feet. God, use us because you are 
Lord. We're your servants and we submit to you. We know these days are coming, whether in our lifetime or another generation, we don't know, but we know they're coming. And so, Father, now we submit to you. We say, you are Lord. We ask you to give us ears to hear you that we might obey you and walk with you. God, for anyone who's heard this message today, it's like their first time they've ever listened to a sermon or first time they've ever been to church and they think, what is all of that? Would you help them by your spirit, Father, to, to believe that Jesus is Lord, to confess with their mouth that you are Lord and believe in their heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. And, and in that belief, Father, save them from the penalty of their sin, which, which is the, the outpouring of your wrath and instead make them your kids them right, fix them, all the things of the past, and fix them as they're walking in the presence, and fix them for the future. Thank you for how you work in our lives. We thank you for your steadfast love and grace, your mercy. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.